Welcome to episode 9 of the Pirates of the Airwaves podcast, where we chat to some of the people involved in the land-based pirate radio stations of the 1970s and 1980s. This week, I'm talking to Danny Goldman. That's Danny Dipole to you. We go from his early days with Radio Titanic in Chinkford, East London, right through to working on legal radio in Switzerland, presenting in German. We take that journey via RIP Radio, Radio Comsat, Phoenix Radio and Radio Shoestring. We also hear about some of his brushes with the law, but I'll leave Danny to give you the details on that. If you'd like to listen to any of the previous eight episodes of the Pirates of the Airways podcast, including interviews with people such as Piers Easton and Nick Catford, then just search Pirates of the Airways podcast on your podcast app of choice. You can also go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen and click on the little picture. If you want to get in touch, just email us on piratepod7080 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any comments or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode. Anyway, let's go on with our chat with Danny. Hello and welcome to the Pirates of the Airways podcast. This week, we're going to be talking to, um, I'll admit, an old friend of mine, a very old friend of mine, who uh, you may know as Danny Dipole. His real name is Danny Goldman, though. <laughs> and um, and he now lives in, uh, lives in Switzerland, although he tells me that he can see Austria and Germany, is it, from your room? Out of the window and across the lake, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, just, I live quite near the border. It, it all sounds very idyllic. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a nice place to live, yeah. Anyway, good evening. Are you well? Very well, thanks. And really nice to talk to you. The last time I met you was 38 years ago, and you were called Steve Justin. Well, some still know me as Steve Justin, of course, but not much these days. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the last time we saw each other was probably Radio Shoestring. Yeah, 1984 it was. Yeah, oh dear, that seems, as you say, a lifetime ago. So the first thing I ask, and the first thing I ask everybody, when did you first become a, aware of pirate radio as opposed to just the radio? I think pirate radio would have been around 1976 to 77, listening to Radio Caroline. I'd already already had a love affair just with normal radio, with, with Kenny Everett on Capital, Bob Stewart on, on 208 on Luxembourg. And um, just tuning around, I picked up Caroline and was quite fascinated by it and actually went down to the library and got some records and books about pirate radio. And uh, I remember recording the 10th anniversary Caroline Continues program in 1977 because I still left the cassette somewhere. And um, that was really the start. 
and then became aware of some of the London pirates. Um, firstly, my nan and granddad lived in, in Dulwich in, in South London. I remember being there and picking up this station called Radio Jackie and then finding that I could actually pick it up with a weaker signal back home in uh, Walthamstow, South Chingford. And then, um, yeah, the other stations really at the time were, were Radio Amy and their Mutation Happy Music Radio, I remember, Radio Corina who we actually met and got a transmitter from, Radioactivity, Thameside, Telstar South with that great theme tune that I still love, um, Radio Free London, Radio Invicta, Radio North Kent back then. That was in the 70s. And then moving on a bit, uh, Alice's Restaurant, the Dread Broadcasting, DBC. And um, yeah, that, that was the stations that I kind of tuned around on a Sunday. I think your beginnings were the same sort of thing as me. I mean, all those stations I recognise and remember listening to. I think even before I met you, and I met you not long after I first started listening to stuff, to be honest. So you're listening to stations. Then what happens? How come you go from a listener to someone who's operating, presenting, whatever? And what was the station, the first one? Right. Um, well, the first tests that we did were under the name of Radio Alpha, which wasn't very inventive. Um, that was in Walthamstow. Um, a friend who's just recently moved to France at his place and with a friend from school. Um, he was a bit of a kind of a technical boffin. He wasn't really interested in the programs, although he did do some in the end. Uh, he was called Paul. And we got a transmitter from Exchange and Mart, which claimed in Exchange and Mart that it could transmit up to 20 miles. And once I complained that it didn't, um, the guy on the other end of the phone said, you don't understand plain English, it says up to. Uh, if there are things in the way like houses, it won't work. So yeah, we tried our first tests on that without much success. And um, we, we carried on doing that really for <clears throat> some of 1978. That would have been April 78. Um, I remember because I made a newsletter. Um, we changed the name then at the end of 78 to Radio Titanic. And we got a, a four watt transmitter, um, which we loaned from a guy called Tony, I think he was, from Radio Carina, and then bought it. Um, and we started transmitting with that. And to test it, uh, we just ran Radio 1 through it on um, 92.4 on a, on a kind of a, our own frequency. And then got on the bus with a radio and, and went into central London and see how far we get. And it worked. So um, we started broadcasting on that on a Tuesday night. And where were you doing Titanic from? Was it your house or a friend's house? Or It was a friend's house in Hyams Park, Wood, as a border Hyams Park, Woodford Green, which for a non-Londoner is kind of just on the border of London and Essex. And, um, yeah, we just broadcast from the house. That's Mike Reed and High Rise. Now is the Vapors at 27 minutes past 8 on Radio Titanic and Turning Japanese. If you'd like to write to us, don't forget the address, PO Box 110, Orpington in Kent. Susie and the Banshees and Happy House. If you've bought the jam single for 99 pence or whatever you paid for it, you're going to regret it because if you'd spent an extra 50p and paid £1.50, you could have got a double EP and not only features the single but it also features this. Live. Down in the tube station at midnight. I think Jonathan Richmond would turn in his grave if he heard that one. That's the Sex Pistols and Johnny B. Good. And the Jonathan Richmonds Roadrunner. We're going to go out with this one from the Boomtown Rats. Don't know whether it's their latest single. I assume it is because it's been played quite a lot and it's called Keep It Up. 
my name is Danny Dipole. I've been with you for the last hour. Don't forget, I'll see you next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We actually gave out the telephone number from by flashing the stereo beacon on the radio. So I'd say, look out for the first number, and you'd flash it five times for the five, and people rang the house. It worked. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> You're not the first person I've spoken to who said that they gave out the number they were broadcasting from. Even Radio Zodiac did that as well, and they were linking to... to you know, twice to a tower block, but still giving the number out of the flat that they will actually have the studio in. So you weren't the first to do it and you won't be the last. And I think, I'm, I must admit, I think I did it at least once as well. Um, so Titanic, what happened at the end of Titanic and why did, why did that fold in the end? Well, we, we, we were okay. We, we, we kind of, we had a few listeners. We had an article in The Guardian, which I've kept from March 79, New Pirate on the Air. When you say The Guardian, do you mean The the local guardian or the local guardian and independent what we did we got a friend to write a letter and a couple of school friends to write letters saying that they'd heard it <laughs> and got phoned up by a reporter and they did an interview yeah that was march 79 um no at the end really um i i couldn't really agree with paul i felt a bit sorry about what i did it was, it was quite a nasty thing but we stole the transmitter um i got to i met some other guys at um pirate radio party and we decided to start our own station. That was would have been the beginning of 1980. And, um, yeah, and so we stole the Paul's transmitter, which wasn't a very nice thing to do. Um, left a note saying he'd get it back, which he did. Uh, we copied it. Um, he didn't get it back before his dad came around my house and threatened my dad. Um, my dad pointed out to him, there's no point in calling the police because it's illegal anyway. And then he went away. Um, so yeah, that was the end of Radio Titanic, really. That was sometime at the beginning of, I think, summer 1980, actually. It wasn't the beginning. It would have been summer 1980. Um, and I think Paul wanted to stop it anyway. And so we, I kind of, yeah, just wanted to start something else and got together with, uh, with four others, uh, Phil, Phil Thomas, Tony Warren, um, Spider, Martin Banks and uh, we did a sort of a funny mixture of programs on a Friday everything really a, a disco soul hour a kind of a post-punk and indie hour which I did um, rock hour and then a sort of a genesis -y bit of yeah um, a rock hour at the end we'd started by doing these all-night live broadcasts from a place in I think it was Edmonton somewhere one of the where one of the guys lived in a tower block anyway just straight out the flat nothing sophisticated um so we did about a month of that and then started taping the programs the day before and then putting them out on a friday evening from 7 till 11 and um yeah that was fun it was always uh, the well we did some all night ones at the weekend to start with and after that from september 1980 um on on friday evenings yeah and and just on c120 cassettes uh, fm uh, transmitter with a car battery <laughs> you know about all that stuff up in the woods you know we had two sites which we we changed uh, one behind Larkswood swimming pool in south chingford and one up near um beaconsfield road up in walthamstow near, near the roundabout yeah up in the woods so yeah that that was a bit of um it, it was a bit of a silly station really um it wasn't very serious i had mates around when i was recording the programs with electric guitars smoking stuff and drinking and it all got a bit rude and we gave out the numbers of drug dealers but they were real drug dealers and um yeah it, it was a bit silly and um 
Buzzcocks and Breakdown followed sharply by Harmony in My Head. Now there's one from The Clash. It's the B-side of English Civil War and it's called Pressure Drop. This is R.I.P. on 92.4. 79. It brings back memories of Radio Star. And uh, I don't know if a Tony still listens to us. If you do, hello. Uh, we're going to have a short commercial break now and I will hand over. Let's move this mic out uh, to my technician on the right. You have to hold it. Go on. Hold what? Right. Hello for all you junkies out there. Drugs, the games, the Carly's the night. <sighs> Right, we're going to have another record now. It's one from Skyhooks. It's called Love Comes in Spurts. Right, that wasn't Skyhooks. That was Richard Hell and the Voidoids and Love Comes in Spurts, which leads us, appropriately enough, into this. Linda Lovelips, the most famous of our range. Dress her up, play with her, take her into bed, and she will never say no. Just 1995. <laughs> Hello, Dad. <laughs> Just a little take we're doing. Um, right, here's the tubes and prime time. I think we'll have to do the washing up tonight. That got some complaints apparently to the authorities, the broadcast. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was funny to listen back to, but it, we were trying to do kind of an anarchy on the airwaves format and, um, well, at least on my program anyway. So yeah, that was, that was RIP radio, yeah. So RIP uh, and you're broadcasting from up behind Larkswood Swimming Pool, which isn't there anymore now. Uh, in Chingford and you go up to do a tape change and how do you how do you find your way back to the transmitter first of all well um it was a bit silly really it was very dark um so I had a torch and I put uh cigarette papers large cigarette paper papers um and stuck them to the trees so that I could walk up the wall behind the swimming pool and then I'd see the first cigarette paper so I know to, to turn off to the right and walk up the hill a bit and then every few trees, there was another cigarette paper. So I walked out with, there with my girlfriend, uh, got the tape change done. And then four torches came running at me. You're nicked, you're nicked. And I was nicked. So that's, uh, that was the end of RIP radio, yeah. My girlfriend was really scared. And um, I, uh, I lived down a 10 minute walk away. And I'd, I got Soundwaves magazine regularly. And I'd heard about or read about Eric Gotts. So I asked if one of them was Eric Gotts and he identified himself and um, I didn't have any ID with me so we walked back to my house and I had to get a provisional driving license I remember to show them it's like I was going to break into somebody's house yeah, I don't know but anyway um, so yeah um, I, I convinced them that my girlfriend had nothing to do with it and um, then uh, I, I went to court a couple of months later um, got fined £200. Um, I was stupidly admitted to a second offence without realising I was doing it. They just said to me, uh, so you just started tonight then, did you? You just turned it on and you just thought it would work. And I said, no, we have done some test transmissions before. And so I got done for two offences plus 50 quid costs. And that was about a month's wages at the time. That was a lot of money. Yeah, when we were talking about 1980, that 250 quid altogether is quite a lot of money, isn't it? I should imagine. That was a lot of money. So one of the other guys who was working had a decent job. He gave me 50 quid and the rest, um, yeah, I had to pay it off. I asked for time to pay. That was 1980 or I think the court case was the beginning of 81, actually. That would have been November 80, I think, when I got caught. Now, I know you're quite young because you're similar age to me, aren't you? And um, what was your parents' reaction to all this? Because obviously you had to go around the house and that sort of stuff. What was their their reaction to this my dad was pretty easy about it you know he was he was okay about it um he gave me advice when i went to court he said ask for time to pay um and uh you know maybe don't 
say rude things on the air in future and then maybe you won't get complaints and you won't get caught um but he was he was really good and uh when we walked out of the court all the other guys from the station were there and a few other pirates um the next we we got on the bus went down to Leighton uh, with the transmitter and uh, went up a tower block to install it straight from the court up a tower block and got caught by the caretaker but there were four of us and I think the caretaker was more scared than we were so um that was the end of pirate radio for me for a while actually until I met this guy called um Steve Justin <laughs> Yeah, now, I, I've been sitting there trying to work out how, I mean, I knew you anyway from, from the stuff that you'd done, and I knew you through, um, through Yusuf as well, of course. I, I'm trying to remember how I enticed you to come and do programmes on ComSat, because that was January, 7, uh, January 81 is when we started broadcasting on ComSat. I did, a, I did a test transmission in December and then actually broadcast from sort of end of January, I think. 81 so it probably wasn't long after that happened but i know you weren't there right at the beginning and i can't think did i did i did i approach you <laughs> no i wasn't i uh i'd got involved in i re, i honestly can't remember whether it was a, a one of these pirate radio meet meetings or parties or or how it happened I, I'd started on hospital radio a very short time before, and I started there in 1982. Um, I know that I kind of got a bit involved in politics and stuff as well, um, and then left. And I think it maybe it may have been that that I had some time on my hands. I think a change of girlfriend as well, and um, and and for for whatever reason and however it was, I honestly don't remember. I mean, I remember listening to Comsat. Um, but yeah, and, and got involved really fairly quickly. And I would like to point out, you know, you did some great programs for us. I've still got quite a lot of tapes of your programs that we recorded. And uh, well, it, it was, you know, you, you're always a good radio presenter, which we'll get onto later on as well, what you went on to do. But um, and it, it, what you did is you added a little bit of personality and professionalism to the station as well, uh, which was quite nice. And, you know, the other thing, which I like to talk about when, when discussing you, is, is the newsletters. You used to produce these newsletters, all handwritten, but very artistic and very creative and quite sarcastic as well. Um, no, I used to like, I always used to make comics when I was a kid because I used to buy comics and I used to make my own comics. I was never really much of, um, I couldn't really draw three-dimensional stuff, um, but what I could do was just little cartoons, what you'd call emojis now, except I used to draw them myself. And um, and lettering, I always loved doing lettering. Like, you know, the type of lettering you used to get in comics in the speech bubbles, uh, that was my lettering. So yeah, I just used to get an A4 uh, sheet and then just um, write everything in pencil and then go over it in a, in a kind of a fine liner felt pen um, and a bigger felt pen for the headlines and just, yeah. And then when everything was dry, I used to leave it overnight to dry, then rub out all the pencil and then find a photocopier. And that was the newsletter. And I've got them going back to 1978 for Radio Titanic, right up to 1984 for Radio Shoestring. That was kind of my thing. I've, I, I think I've got probably one of the Titanic ones. Uh, I've certainly got all the Radio Comsat ones you did. I never had any of the Shoestring ones, but I know you did quite a few. But it, it was just a, a really good add-on thing for radio stations to have something with a bit of personality and a bit of character, I think, as well. And it was, I mean, I don't know how many we did or how many you did in the end for, 
for Comsat probably four or five, I think. But it was just nice to be able to send it out. Any anybody who's in the Facebook group, the the land based pirate radio of the seventies and eighties Facebook group, if you just search under my name there with things, I've put some pictures of some of Danny's work on there. Um, so you'll you'll see that. I will put another one up as well um, when this podcast actually goes out. So you'll be able to see that. But you'll you'll be able to see the kind of thing that he did, uh, which is always pretty good. So um, so Comsat obviously I. You know, Comsat was was my station, um, and you were on that for quite a while, I think. And then, I think for a short time, you got poached by Phoenix, didn't you? When they were when they were sort of alternative music, for the want of a better phrase. I I don't know why I did that. I I I I thought about it. You know, after kind of getting back in touch with you, I really don't know why I did that because I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the programs. They didn't have any jingles. I love jingles. They didn't have any. Uh, and it was early Saturday evening in Clapton. Um, so it kind of messed up my Saturday a bit as well. Um, I don't know whether it was because it was FM or I got fed up with going to the woods in the winter on a Sunday morning. I don't know what it was, um, but I regretted it anyway. I think I must have only been there for about six weeks or something. And then um, came back to Comsat and you were kind enough to take me back, you know, after being a traitor, you took me back. And uh, I, I got absolutely no idea why, why I left, really don't. I'll be honest with you. I think at the time FM was, was the coming thing and it was, it was becoming quite a big thing. Phoenix was quite well organised, maybe a bit too well organised for you, I think. Um, and, and it was a bigger audience, you know, there's no doubt about that. I think it was quite late on in Comsat's life. But yes, like you say, you came back. The reason I took you back is because there was no one else about to do it. I was down to the bare bones. I think uh, we had Fudge, who was a female presenter, me, Nick, and then you came back. I think I was doing two hours and then you came back. Um, because at the same time you left, um, John Scott left as well. So I lost two presenters quite quickly, um, who were both, I, I looked on as being very, very good at what they did. So, but that's life. That's pirate radio. We all move on. I split away from the Phoenix guys years before that. So um, I think everybody moves on and decides they're going to do other things. Anyway, you came back to Comsat. I know that. And you were there right through to the end then. I'll be on the air. So that's hopefully starting in a couple of weeks' time. Does that mean I'll get some new jingles? Even more new jingles? Even more new jingles? Enough We've had those jingles for ages, but I've hidden them from you because I knew you played them to death. Yeah, well, I'm going <laughs> to. But I'm going to stick with the old ones as well. And give you a reminder that you're tuned to the brain-splitting, mind-blowing, no-pop, spiky-top, new direction, auto-selection, Comsat collection, the one and only... Three Johns stay at 15 with men like monkeys. Are they toilets or are they apes? Oh, God, that's a blind drunk. Well, they're not going to give us an answer, so we're going to shut them up. Three Johns and men like monkeys, non mover at 15 on this week's Comsat collection. Saw a house done up in really bad taste. I've seen some bad ones actually in Walthamstow, some pink and orange ones, one with the uh, front garden fence sprayed gold. But uh, this one just about took the biscuit. I came up Hale End Road this morning and uh, there was a house with a great big life-size Barry Manilow picture in the window, balloons all over the house and a big banner saying, Happy birthday, Barry. This one's for you. If you'd like to hear more of the funk and less of the punk, write to Comsat, 6 Park Avenue, Woodford Green in Essex. And get some boogie back on the airwaves. Two, one, seven...
Hello, this is Danny Dipole here to tell you about the campaign Get Jazz Funk Off The Airwaves. If you'd like some car stickers, mini stickers and a copy of the latest news sheet, write to Radio Comsat, 6 Park Avenue, Woodford Green in Essex. Comsat, more punk, no funk. Two, one, seven. And um, and the reason Comsat finished, uh, I'll just give people a quick idea, is that we were on medium wave, we were broadcast with someone's house by that point with quite a good transmitter. But there was the response just wasn't there. Basically, people were moving to FM. There were stations doing what we did, but far better and live. And you know, Zodiac and Phoenix were both alternative music stations doing what we did far better. And in the end, I just did a broadcast and I said, you know, we're going to close down. If you don't want us to close down, get in contact. And we got very little response. So that was that. Couldn't see the point of taking the risk any longer. And also, I think also the twenty-four hour stations were coming in. And I was quite um, enamoured with the thought of going going to shoestring. And also I'd been asked by Chris England to do something as well. So, um, Although he ended up at shoestring. But uh, yeah, so that that's that's how that happened. So you were there right to the end. And then you went to shoestring. Um, I think for the same way I did. Just by uh, getting in contact with them and just saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I do radio. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, we met Greg Powers and Mitch Johnson, and um, some idiot from Wales that had done like two hours on local radio and thought he was a star and told me to smile behind the microphone, um, but he wasn't around for very long. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed Radio Shoestring. Um, it was only a few months, really, um, spring and summer, nineteen eighty four. It seemed much longer because I'd never done that much radio before. I was still working on hospital radio, Whips Cross Hospital. Then uh, I did a, 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 um, a show one night a week. I think it was a Wednesday night or something for three hours. And then Saturday sports show, four to five hours, reading results off to facts and news and um, trying to get all these adverts and jingles on cassettes and trying to remember to rewind the cassettes because we didn't have cartridge machines um, and queuing up all the records and writing down the news stories and then on the Sunday that was the show that I really enjoyed the most because I've always been a bit of a fan of chart shows a bit of a chart nerd really I did a three hour chart show on a Sunday night from nine until midnight uh, the independent top 30 sponsored by Ugly Child Records sponsored meant that he just gave me all the records and this, he got a really expensive EP and then he wanted it back but um that was really nice for me i really enjoyed that and um that was a, a little bit more of a relaxed feel to to the program um thoroughly enjoyed myself at the station um we we did get busted once um that was in the first phase we were in kind of in in a rented garage i think it was two garages next to each other was that was that Forest Road? That's it, yeah, yeah. Um, before before we moved up... If anybody, sorry, just quickly, if anybody knows Walthamstow, there's the YMCA, which is on Forest Road, and right next to that, which is now Flats, they used to be this sort of... It was old factory, I think, or something like that, and, um, and some wasteland, and uh, that's where the studio was. Yeah, no, it was just like rented garages, so there were a few rows of these garages. Um, I met the guy that rented because um, that summer or in that May, it must have been May 84, there were European elections and I was a bit of a, a Labour supporter. So I was kind of reading the results and every time it was Labour, I cheered uh, on the microphone and the electricity kept going off. And then this happened about four or five times. It went off for like a few seconds and then came back on. Oh, no, that's weird. 
And then in the end, there was a knock on the door and he said, oh, I'm renting the garages. You've got a problem with the electricity? And I said, yeah, it keeps going off. And he said, yeah, I'm a conservative voter. So you better stop cheering Labour, otherwise your electricity is going to keep going off. And then I was in there one Sunday night for the independent top 30 and the owner was there, Greg Powers, just visiting and just talking about stuff in between. Knock on the door about, must have been about a quarter to 11, half past 10, quarter to 11. And there was a little window in the garage built in and um, with a sort of a service door two police outside so greg called over i was at the at the mixing desk at the microphone and greg calls over it's the police and we had a kind of emergency procedure so you'd switch off the equipment except for a cassette that with an announcement that they were you were going off air and uh, and some music continuous music so that you didn't have your hands on the equipment because we believed at the time that if you did you know it was going to be worse for you opens the door and um there are uh, the two policemen outside and so he invited them in i'm sitting on the sofa reading an upside down magazine because <laughs> i was in a bit of a panic and um and then it, the one of the police asked there are two young police and then one of them asked greg the owner he said what's this then and he said oh, it's a pirate radio station and they looked at each other and they said oh do you see anything wrong with that and the other one no i don't see nothing wrong with that we was looking for car thieves what sort of music do you play and i said well it's uh, called an independent top 30 Oh, you got any Smiths? I said, uh, yeah, it's a bit further up the charts. I'll probably be, I'll put it on in about half an hour, you know. And he said, well, play that for everyone at Walthamstone Nick and we'll be on our way. And so I did. <laughs> that is a, that's a brilliant one. Uh, you're, I mean, I, I spoke to Nick Catford, obviously, and he talked a lot about the busts and things like that. But I love that story. I, I remember you telling me it at the time. Now, the other thing I always love to ask shoestring um, presenters how many studios did you broadcast from? Just two, just from the garages and from the one above the carpet shop, you know, near the cinema in Walthamstow, the last studio. Yeah, yeah, near the Saxon Club, I think it was called, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, could well be, Saxon Club. Yeah, I think they're, they're the only two I remember. I don't remember them being, being uh, there being anything else, but it was always live. I always believed that the transmitter was somewhere else, but I'm actually not convinced that it was. I, don't, I really don't know. Well, cer certainly when they were at Forest Road, it was where for it was at Forest Road. Uh, well, certainly was when I broadcast a couple of times now because they were also trying Medium Wave at the time as well. And the other studios, I well, there was one at um, James Street near James Street Station. There was a back of a shop there, so you went through you went through the sideway of the shop, and then at the back I used to do a Sunday breakfast show from there. And the other one was Greg's house, <laughs> which I'm absolutely positive the transmitter was there as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did a couple of late night shows there. I think we went, yeah, I went round there for a meeting once. Yeah, I think we all went round there. Remember, he used to have that huge house station. Station meeting when he promised to pay everybody a couple of times, but he never did. Now, um, I, I found this old list. Uh, I was looking through some memorabilia, actually, knowing that I was going to have this interview with you. And I found printed out on this old kind of stripy paper with holes in the sides on a must have been one of the early computers in 1984 instructions for all shoestring presenters and staff um, telling you how to read the news, weather, advertising, music, uh, inserts, cue cards, technical operation. Um, it's, really, it's quite nice to read it back. I mean, I don't know how many. Did you manage to to get like three news stories off of CFAX and two cue cards? Because I did, but it was a it was a bloody big effort. I used to read it direct. 
you had to get the page ready, didn't you, beforehand? Exactly. I copied them. I wrote down the story in the middle. So you'd, you'd, you'd call up the first page and then write down the number of the third page because it always took a while to come up. So while the third page was coming up, I was reading the second page that I'd just copied out by hand. That was our new service. And then we had these cue cards, and quite often you'd pull out a cue card, and it was something that had happened last weekend. <laughs> it sounded professional, but it just showed what you could do with those means, really. I mean, I think to the, to the, to the average listener, it sounded professional. I think at least most of the DJs did a really good job. And to be quite honest, I don't think anybody really noticed if the event, uh, a jumble sale had taken place last Saturday or next Saturday, because no one was really that interested. It was just trying to kind of be a bit community, you know? I, I, I think they did the best they could with the, with the facilities they had. What, what was quite interesting about that is that, you know, there's a few people came out of that. Gary King, who ended up at Capital, obviously um, uh, Paul McKenna, who did all the jingles and voiceovers, and... Um, Obviously, Mitch as well. He's ended up. He still works on radio now. He's on radio too, and he, he's on the he's on the, the Facebook site and everything as well. So you know, it, it, I think it was quite a good standard. Um, like all pipe radio at the time is a little bit chaotic. Um, right. Okay. So shoestring finally closes down. Were you there right at the end, or, or did you not stay that long? I I think I was actually for the on on the outside broadcast. I was in Holland. Um, I went on holiday. July 84. So I think I wasn't there. I was there up until like maybe two or three days before the close down. And I remember doing um, a couple of last programs and promoting the close down. Um, but as far as I remember, um, I, I we, were, we were kind of just going by train and rucksacking across Europe. I met my my wife. Of she, I was married for 25 years to her. She was Swiss, and the reason I, I came to Switzerland, I met her in Holland. So it was one of those holidays, and um, yeah. So I think probably I wasn't there for the last few days, but I was there right until the end, basically doing programs. Mr. Smith, new in a 24 this week. What difference does it make? If you like the sort of indie music that you hear on this program, then you'd better listen to Charlie's program. Ten till one every Tuesday and Thursday on Shoestring. Obviously, this week will be the last two programs that Charlie's going to be doing. Excellent show he puts out. A bit of comedy stuff, some good indie singles as well, and a fair old mixture in there. That's Charlie every Tuesday and Thursday between ten and one in the evening here on Radio Shoestring 103.2 megs, broadcasting to northeast London every day of the week from Walthamstow. This is the Independent Top 30 with Danny Dipole, the third, fourth, fifth of annual entries comes in at 23 for the apostles and course of the creature this one's a 22 the biggest fall of the week going down eight places for gene loves jezebel shame you can contact the parents lifeline on 521-7547 that's 521-7547 this is radio shoestring where the time is 10 30 radio shoestring news this is Danny Dipole reporting. A fire at the Bray Film Studios in Berkshire has destroyed the sets used for the famous Hammer Horror films. If you've had problems buying the records you want, don't get wild, come to Ugly Child. Ugly Child Records are East London specialists for punk, independence and reggae music. You'll also find a large second-hand selection with a big choice at rock-bottom prices. Ugly Child Records are at 162 Hoe Street, Walthamstow, just near the Granada Cinema, 10 till 6, six days a week. This is Radio Shoes. Yet another disaster for the Danny Dipole Show. Lincolnstone, Woodgreen and Southgate. With music, news, local, national and international. And everything that matters in the Shoestring area. 
Eastside Community Radio. Radio Shoestring is East London's voice from Walthamstow. Final look at the weather for this evening. Tonight, Sunday, mainly dry and clear. Tonight, uh, tonight, chance of a thundery shower. Tomorrow, sunny periods, isolated thundery showers. Winds light from the southeast or south. The temperature, a high tomorrow of 27 degrees centigrade. A low tonight of 17 degrees centigrade. The sound of Eastside Community Radio. And, and then continued with hospital radio afterwards until I left England. Um, hospital radio. Whips Cross Hospital Radio. Yeah, it was interesting to, to listen to your last podcast. Um, that Whips Cross was also a very um, professional outfit with a, an X Radio 1 um, desk. A couple of BBC people uh, who really also looked down on pirates, um, and they looked down on everything that wasn't the BBC um, in Luxembourg capital. It was to them, it was all rubbish. And um, I must say, the experience was good in the sense of self-discipline. So, going round uh, wards, collecting requests, playing um, playing music that that I certainly wouldn't have played you know out of choice um really old records um getting to know a bit about that music and spending some time with patience it was actually for for self-discipline for timing um and playing music that other people wanted was actually quite good is that where you got your love of the nolan sisters as well (laughs) (laughs) that would have been one of the more progressive records that i played steve (laughs) yeah yeah, that must have been that. <laughs> As I said in previous podcasts, I, I sort of, for the one of a better word, flirted with uh, hospital radio a couple of times, um, but never never really got involved. Uh, like you said, and I've said before, they, they seem to think that pirates were something that they'd trodden in. Um, when pirates were actually doing something, probably had a lot more listeners than most hospital stations as well. But anyway, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people still do hospital radio and, and good luck to them. So that all goes. You are then seeing the girl who was from Switzerland, at what point, because Danny left the country at some point, what point was that? Not long after that, was that quite? No, it was a bit complicated. She came, she tried living in London. Um, she didn't last very long. Uh, you couldn't get a, a work permit or anything like that. And um, she went back to Switzerland, we split up. And then in 1987, um, we used to just send each other the occasional postcard and letter just to see how the other one was getting on. I'd split up with a girlfriend. She'd split up with a boyfriend, and some. Is this where I play the Artune music? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, this sounds. This is a t- this is the Tony Blackburn Love Hour. Um, yeah, um, this is uh, yeah, and we got in touch. We actually rang me, um, which she never did. We never rang each other because it was so expensive, and invited me to come to Switzerland. And I went out there September '87, and we started making plans. I. I, I'd, I'd always kind of, I'd had this thing really about uh, wanting to just go and try and live abroad. And uh, I didn't really know how to go about it. I didn't have a plan. Uh, I couldn't really speak another language any more than anyone else that had done a French O-level could anyway. And certainly couldn't speak German. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really, I chucked everything. I chucked my job. I rented out a flat, which I bought back in 1984 on a 100% mortgage. And, um, yeah, and, and, and went for it and, and moved out there in April 1988. 
if you can imagine, um, I mean, most of the people involved in pirates will remember the time without internet. But when you're in a foreign country, um, you can't speak the language. You've got obviously no internet because it didn't exist. It was actually invented in Switzerland by an Englishman, funnily enough, about a year after I moved there, but I didn't know then. Um, and uh, telephone calls were um, one franc 20 at the time, I, I suppose about 40, 50 pence an hour. Um, to, to uh, an hour, sorry, a minute to call England. So I didn't do that very often. And the only English speaking radio that I could pick up there, I didn't have a shortwave radio for the, for the first nine months when I was there. I got it as a Christmas present, uh, was Luxembourg. And Luxembourg was the station that I'd listened to really as a, in my early teens and really all through my time in England. I always had a, a real affection for Luxembourg, just the sort of the, the, the trashy formatted radio. I just always loved it. And um, Luxembourg 208 was my station when I moved to Switzerland. So I could actually pick it up properly. Um, and I was really, really homesick for the first year, really, uh, until, I, until I got the hang of the language, started working in German, met people there. Um, yeah, I'd, I kind of packed my case to come back a, a few times, really. Um, but I stuck it out. It was good. Um, sad when Luxembourg closed on 208 in 1991, but by then I'd had, I had a shortwave radio, a little digital shortwave radio that you could tap in the number so I could pick up the BBC World Service at least. And um, yeah, and then after that we got cable TV um, in the village that I lived in, just close to where I live now, cable radio, which was brilliant. Couldn't believe it. And then in 1992, um, our first daughter was born. Um, my wife then stopped work for six months. The mortgage rate um, for Swiss standards, we'd been promised when we, we, we'd, we'd built our first house with the money from the flat that I sold the flat in London. Fortunately, just before the crash, so I had quite a lot of money. Um, and that was kind of enough for a deposit to, get, uh, to build a house in Switzerland. And we were promised that interest rates would never go above 5% in Switzerland. And um, they went up to nine nearly. And so my mortgage payment payments were nearly, well, were more than half my income at the time. And so when she started to stop working, I needed some extra income. So we, we sat there one night um, and, and thought, well, what can I do apart from dispatching lorries, which is what I was doing for a living? Um, I can speak some German, I could translate maybe, I could teach English, I could do some mobile discos and I used to do radio so maybe I could do that. So I tried all four things hoping that one or two of them might work to get some extra money. Um, one of those things I, I sent off demo cassettes, I bought myself a cheap mixer and um, sent off some demo cassettes to six local radio stations in eastern Switzerland and, and Zurich and um, one of them hired me. And um, the problem was that all the other things worked out as well. I, I started doing mobile discos at the weekend, teaching English and started a translation business and work full time. So, um, yeah, but the, I, I started doing a radio program um, on a local station, Radio Rheintal, Radio Gonson. And um, that was in English. And it was a chart show, funnily enough, but not, a, not an in independent one, just the British chart show. And um, the way that that worked was I used to um, call... Well, my dad used to fax me the, the chart on a Tuesday, I think it was, out of the newspaper. Then I would order any missing records because most of the records didn't get to Switzerland for weeks or months later. Um, and I used to then uh, send a fax to Turntable Records in Chingford. He put the records in the post. 
most of the time they got there on time, most of the time. Um, and then in 19, I did that show, um, just a weekly hourly show um, in English, and that was that was good. And then the presenter of the Swiss chart show had to go to hospital for six weeks. And so they said, well, this was, by this time it was 1994, I think, um, whether I could do the Swiss chart show as well. And I said, well, I'm sure I can, but I'm not sure that Swiss listeners will want someone doing it in English. And they said, no, 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 do it in your funny German, you know. That'd be a laugh. High hits. And now, please welcome your DJ for tonight. Hallo everybody, heute zusammen. Für die nächsten zwei Stunden präsentiere ich eine Hot-Hit-Abschiedssendung. Heute Abend erzähle ich euch meine persönliche Radiogeschichte vom ersten selbst gegründeten Piratensender in London bis zu Radio Rie. Dazu das Beste aus den englischen und amerikanischen Charts seit Anfangsjahr. Am Mikrofon Danny Goldman. So, so I did, and I did change the format very slightly because the Swiss charts at the time, they were horrible. They were really horrible. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard of the Kelly family or DJ Bobo? No, good. You don't want to know. Um, and techno and just German Smurf music and uh, it was it was horrible. So all you could do really is play the music and make fun of it. And so I did. And I had competitions making fun of, of the stuff. And people used to write in, you know, and go for it. And, and then I carried on doing the English show as well, parallel. And then um, in 1997, um, the station became digitalized or digitized. How do you say that? Digitalized. Well, anyway, we moved away from tapes and CDs um, to kind of a, a touch screen. Um, Nothing like you have now, presumably, but for us it was new, so we learned how to do that. And they didn't want any English-speaking programs anymore. It was kind of like a formatted um, formatted program, so the DJ couldn't just play what he wanted. There were 4,000 titles on a hard disc, 50 a week were changed, all fairly predictable, but they had specialist shows still. And so they pushed mine to a Sunday night, and it became a two-hour show, English and American charts in in German, so I presented it in German, and they wanted kind of um, um, klatsch und tratsch. How do you say that in English? Like gossip uh, from gossip from the, the internet, which was about three years old at the time. They wanted the gossip on the radio before it got in the papers, you know. So I spent hours and hours every week preparing this program. Uh, there were a lot of interview CDs at the time, so I, I used those and and gossip and stuff. And um, yeah, that was um, that. Was that. One week, um, my records, which I still had to order from Turntable Records, CD singles and, and, and stuff, they got delayed. And the stupid thing was that the number one song in the charts um, got delayed and they didn't have it in Switzerland anywhere. It was Men in Black from Will Smith, just gone straight in at number one. And uh, so what I did, I taped it on cassette from, from the cable radio. I, got, I, I looked when the World Service program charts was going to be the bbc charts taped it on cassette and then to cover up the bad quality i actually went on to the news uh, their local news gave an interview about 
um, Radio Re, this station, Radio Re, being the first station in Switzerland to broadcast something live from the internet, music live from the internet. This was 1997, and this was going to be the future. And I spent then the whole program on Sunday promoting this number one, and we were going to download it straight live from the internet and play it. And um, when it got up to the number one, I just play. I had a cassette recorder in the studio hooked up to the desk and just press play and that was men in black so that's what you do when the records don't arrive well you can take the guy out of pirate radio but you can't take pirate radio out of the guy can you no (laughs) but it yeah it worked and i actually it got too much for me all the work on the station i wanted to spend more time with my kids i was earning a bit more the interest rates had gone back down my translation business was up and running as well so that was all good and i decided i was not going to spend 15 hours a week putting together a two-hour program and so my last thing actually um which you know with recent news events um it's maybe a bit ironic talking about it now i'm very sad um but i reported on princess diana's death um and also from the funeral and um they just wanted some reports um from somebody that sounded english so i i was on the news and everything and um Obviously, I wasn't in London. I was watching it on TV and then calling into the station and then went out to a kind of a big party in the village and everyone and people were saying, well, what are you doing here? We just heard you on the radio from London. I said, no, I didn't say I was in London. I just said I was reporting from London. So uh, that was it really for me. Uh, 97, I was out of there. Um, I really missed the radio, but it was kind of... What I loved about doing a radio program was, and and the chart show was the thing I always liked because I I was quite a lazy presenter, really. I liked to have a format, so I didn't have to think about which music matched or what fitted together or anything. I had a chart, so basically the chart told me what I could play. And if I wanted to take the mickey out of it, I could. Um, And so really you could make a few notes get the records in the right order obviously get the timing correct you know write that down so that the number one didn't end after the news you know but once you'd sorted that really you could just walk in and do it off the top of your head and with all this kind of interview stuff and and stuff off the internet and all this preparation it really took the fun out of it for me to be quite honest I remember when you see the the independent chart for us at Comsat we we call it the Comsat collection now I don't know how much I assume other stations did this. I'm sure they did. But we sort of made it up, didn't we, if you remember rightly? Yeah. Because cause it was an independent chart, and we based it on the NME independent chart. But, of course, there was things like Carly Minogue was in there because they were, they were uh, <laughs> there was distributed an, yeah. by an independent yeah, so we, company. We didn't have that, didn't we? So I, I, I remember we, we, no, we used to sort of uh, – we'd slip a few things in there that probably wouldn't have normally been in there. And shuffled it around a bit. We but, did. Um, we did. Yeah, I, I remember that very well. And uh, you know, I, I know that that always was something. That's why, why when I decided that we were going to do that, because in my naivety, I thought, "Oh, people love chart shows. We'll do a chart show, get some listeners that way." And um, and you were so keen to do it as well. <laughs> yeah, I. And, uh, I it, well, that must have been the first proper chart show you did. I'd imagine was it. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. Did I, you do say anything like that on? Titanic or RIP? Don't think you did, did you? 
Not really. No, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. No, that was the first one, actually. And like I say, I was always a, a, a chant nerd. I used to have uh, school exercise books when I was 12 or 13 years old and, and write down the charts. You know, I used to listen to them on Luxembourg and on the BBC and could see how Luxembourg used to cheat, you know, by listening to the BBC chart and then just pushing everything out up a couple of places. And if anything went straight in at number one, they usually missed it. Um, but yeah, that, that was, I don't know, just a bit of an obsession, really. And like I say, a, a fairly lazy way of presenting. Um, you don't have to come up with uh, lots of um, uh, choosing lots of music and stuff because it's all chosen for you. And it's all in the correct order as well. So it does make life very easy. So looking back on your pirate radio days, so you had uh, at least three brushes with the authorities. Well, one with a caretaker and two, one with the police, which... <laughs> which, which does seem mildly comical to be honest and of course you 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 got uh actually um actually done once i i as i said other than the nick most people i've spoken to have never actually got caught i never got caught uh, and most people who i talked to didn't um so you're a bit of a rarity for me so so when when you were when you're in the court case what what was that like what was the how did you feel because you were quite young then weren't you i think were you 16, 17? Yeah, I, I was uh, 17, yeah. I was working full-time already, but I was 17. Um, maybe I just turned 18. It, I think it was right at the beginning of 81, the actual court case. I got caught in November 1980. So, may, yeah, maybe I just turned 18. I can't honestly remember. But, um, no, it was, in a way, it was something that I never imagined that I would do because I wasn't exactly a criminal, you know. Um and um, I, I think it just went by really quickly. I was, I was polite and um, I, I did what my dad told me to do, you know, just be polite and, and answer the questions and ask for time to pay. That's what he told me to do. Um, but yeah, the stupid thing, as I realized, was admitting to the second offense without really realizing I was doing it. Um, while, while, while I was being interviewed by Gotts and Co, um, they obviously knew what they were doing and I didn't. And then the, I remember the magistrates whispering and I could hear them from the dock. Um, are we going to find him 200 on each or a hundred on each? And I'm thinking 200 on each, Jesus Christ, that's going to be 400 quid, you know? And I was so relieved when they said a hundred on each and then plus 50 costs. But yeah, it was a bit gutting because it was so much money. And I just thought at the time, you know, I'd, I didn't hang around with criminals or anything, but, you know, you always had, had, had these stories in the pub and you just think, well, actually, for that amount of money, you could have done something a lot worse, you know? I mean, I knew people that had uh, or claimed that they'd, they'd burgled shops or stolen stuff and they got fined less than that. And you just think, well, that, actually, it can't be right, can it? Because we weren't really doing any harm to anybody. Um, by broadcasting so uh, I think that was the argument that a lot of people came up with that that you know they were getting prosecuted and fined for, for basically playing records and uh, and I know that an awful lot of the stuff that, that the authorities came up with you know regarding lack of frequencies and copyright and all that sort of thing were just excuses really for them for them to do what they did um although I will say they were just doing their job and we were doing what we were doing and I think you know, again, talking to, to a few people, and certainly Nick says that there were certainly people within the, the post office at the time who, who had a certain amount of respect for, for, you know, stations. And I know some stations never got busted or claimed never to have got busted. Certainly, Comsat never got busted by the authorities. We lost a few transmitters 
in one way or another. But um, we never actually, you know, not that I can remember, we never got tracked down or put off the air by the authorities. But then I think, again, Medium Wave was something they weren't that interested in in the end. I think it was all about catching the FM stations by the time that we packed it in. So you finished with with um, Princess Diana's funeral on the radio. Was that your actual last broadcast or did you do something after that as well as a sort of a goodbye thing? Well, you, you talked, uh, I think, on your last podcast about what is a broadcast. So uh, the last that was the last FM broadcast. Um, but I was on a station, my, my daughters, without knowing that I'd done radio because they were babies really at the time when I, when I stopped or very young. Um, both of them were on a school internet radio. Um, so my younger daughter was 18 and the... Um, uh, no, sorry, she was 16 and my older daughter was 18 at the time. And they did a kind of weekend marathon and were looking for people and asked me whether I knew how to present a radio program, you know. And I said, well, yeah, I might be able to do something. Yeah. And so I, I did a station. The station, I have to be careful how I pronounce it, actually. It was called Kanti Park, but that's it with an A, yeah? C-K-A, Kanti Park. Because um, uh, it was a Canton Schule. And so I did a program on there with some old punk music, um, thoroughly enjoyed it and just thought actually i really really miss this just going in and doing something off the top of your head um i like it fast moving with jingles and and you know just not too much in between and uh yeah for me i was like back in 1979 or 81 again or something yeah it was nice and i think now um i still love radio i mean i love it i i don't see the need personally for pirates although i i stand corrected i i you know i maybe there are uh, musical tastes or things that radio stations don't do um but for me um f- the, the 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 best thing since sliced bread for me is 4g so i can i can get a telephone um i can listen to radio stations from anywhere i can go for a walk put in these headphones you know that you have now earpod things and and just walk around for for a couple of hours and and just listen to the radio. I, I just think it's fantastic. And podcasts, obviously. And I chatted to you the first time that we talked in thirty eight years a couple of weeks back. I was driving home up the Rhine Valley in the car, talking to you in England. And it didn't even cost anything. I mean, how good is that? Um, so yeah, I I still miss pirates. I still miss the Great Two O Eight. Um, I miss all that crackly stuff. I miss the fun. Um, I, I, I would, if I had the time and the inclination, um, yeah, I would like to do something in radio again, I suppose. I, I would. I, I, I think, um, you know, I think it would be enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, there's just so much out there now um, that I don't actually think by doing it that I'd necessarily be fulfilling a need. It's something that obviously, like you say, we talk about on the podcast quite a bit with various people. And, you know, what is what is radio, what isn't radio, and I just think it's anything that's entertainment that's audio, to be honest. Um, but, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I make a living out of making podcasts, so is that, is that radio? I think it probably is. You're certainly making a, an audio product, for the want of a better phrase. I'm still on the radio as well, and I love it when, you know, I have people who contact me and they're listening in the Philippines and they're listening in Switzerland, funny enough. Uh, um, I don't know if you heard that show, but it, it's something that, People all over the country, all over the world have listened to and can listen to. And I quite like the, that thought of that, that people are listening anywhere they want. And uh, but, but again, like in the, in the previous podcasts, I've talked about if 
you and me, who are pretty much the same age, and there's a couple of months between us, I think you and me, if we were around now at the age we were then, would be using the technology available to do what we're doing, whether it's YouTubing or TikToking or internet radio or whatever it may be, because you use the technology that you have available to you to do the things you want to do. And people are still creating video and audio and, and, and putting it out all out there. I think you're right. Yeah. Like you say, it's, a, it's about entertaining. And, and like you, I have a love of live radio as well. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the voice tracking and recording, pre-recording shows. And, uh, you know, the, the show I do on a Sunday morning is, is quite fast paced. I play lots of different stuff. And like you, I love a jingle. <laughs> um, it, it just adds a little bit of legitimacy to the whole thing. <laughs> it does. It makes it special. I also enjoy the show as well. It's a good mixture. It's a really good mixture. Good, good selection of music. Um, yeah, nice to listen to on a Sunday. So... Danny Dipole, Danny Goldman, whatever you want to call yourself at the moment. Thank you ever so much for being on the podcast. It is great to hear all about your, your pirate days and what you've been up to since then as well. So thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for being there. Thanks a lot, Mark, for uh, letting me be your guest. Great to talk to you again after such a long time. And uh, yeah, long live the pirates. Huh? Thanks very much, Dan. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this Pirates of the Airways podcast. And thanks to Danny for his time. If you enjoyed listening then please follow subscribe and give us a review if you want to get in touch the email address is piratepod7080 at gmail.com thanks to all that helped with the production of this program we'll be back on wednesday october the 19th with another look back at the land-based pirate radio world of the 1970s and 1980s until then stay safe kilohertz, two on two meters in the medium wave band. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return it to normal programming just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production. <laughs>